Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. Today, we're visiting with a friend of mine, Anne-Marie Zettelmoyer, who's going to talk with us about vulnerability management. Anne-Marie is a visiting fellow at the National Security Institute and one of the sharpest people I know in information security. Anne-Marie, thanks for joining us here at the ranch. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. First, a brief word about our sponsor. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity. Time spent identifying devices that are missing endpoint agents with known vulnerabilities that are unmanaged, that need updates. Time spent identifying cloud instances that aren't being scanned, that are misconfigured. Time spent gathering asset data. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity until Axonius. By connecting to existing data sources, customers get a comprehensive asset inventory, understand security gaps, and automatically validate and enforce security policies. Thank you, Axonius, for sponsoring this show. So walk us through a bit of your day job. What do you do for a living? Well, aside from being a visiting fellow at our National Security Institute at George Mason, I am also Vice President of Security Engineering at MasterCard and a Divisional Security Officer there. So during that part of my day, I'm responsible for the safety and protection of one of MasterCard's large divisions. We make sure that the products and software that we develop are safe, that folks can transact safely. We protect both the physical and cyber aspect of the organization. You could say my day is full with lots of interesting security topics, of which vulnerability management is one. That sounds great. So vulnerability management. Why is this important to you? Like on a personal level, why vulnerability management? Why is that a topic you would enjoy coming to a podcast and talking about? Well, for me personally, if you've ever read any of my stuff or, or heard me speak before, I'm a very big proponent about hygiene, about getting the fundamentals right, about making sure that we are hitting the basics. And vulnerability management is part of that fundamental security capability that I, I think is very important. And I honestly believe that we have a responsibility to focus on. Now, that's not the only thing that we focus on, obviously. Security is a risk equation. But when you're in the business of making products, right? And here, for me, I'm responsible for protecting millions, trillions, <laughs> actually trillions of dollars of transactions, you know, we want to make sure that what we produce is safe, that what we've built for the customer, what we've built for the consumer has confidence and trust in it. And so if what we've developed or what we're using shows up to have a vulnerability like everything does, you want to take prudent steps to address that because you have a responsibility to do that, to make sure that not only what you develop is safe out the gate, but that it remains safe because that threat landscape is always changing. And we have a responsibility to do everything we can to get ahead of that threat actor, to get ahead of that game. I love that. One of the things I always say about vulnerability management and, and asset management, for that matter, is they're the least glamorous and the least sexy aspects <laughs> of the job. But but to me, some of the most important. And I love that you use the word fundamental. I think fundamentals is a great word. Another CISO friend of mine, your own Levy, I stole this quote from him quite some time ago. People talk about getting the basics right. And he said, no, 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 no. 
These things are not basic. Basic implies easy, right? These are fundamentals. And I think vulnerability management is most definitely one of those fundamentals that, that has to be there. It's basic in the sense of its necessity and it's, it's being required by the process and by the by the program, but it's not basic at all in terms of ease of use, right? Like like vulnerability management is not something you can snap your fingers and make happen. For example, given that InfoSec almost never owns the mitigation side, right? How do you personally motivate the other teams to fix vulnerabilities? How do you how do you deal with that particular aspect of it? Your team has identified the vulnerabilities. Somebody else is fixing them. How do you tackle that? Well, you know, Alan, I've been in over these past few decades, and we won't tell how many that is. (laughs) But I've been in eight different industries and a lot of companies, either in-house or as a consultant or what have you. And I can tell you, this is one of the biggest knots to crack here. Vulnerability management, you're right. Security is there to find the holes. We're responsible for finding those risks and making sure that the business knows about them, prioritizes them, and sets the standards for remediation. And the reason why we do that, the reason why those standards are in our shop is because it's part of that risk equation. How long can we let that thing sit unpatched or how fast do we have to move in light of other business priorities or or what have you and get resources aligned what do we have to do to close that window and security has to have this suite of tools suite of understanding in order to calculate and create those remediation windows that's where our expertise is supposed to lie and you're right the patching of those things the addressing and remediation of those vulnerabilities, of those findings, don't usually sit in the security shop. So really partnering with other organizations, not just with the patching organizations, what might be in IT, it might be in shared services, it might be whatever, right? But it's not just that organization, it's with the business as well. Because here's what happens with vulnerability management. And this is very interesting. Now, I've been in financial services for a long time in a lot of different organizations. But as I said, I've been in eight industries, so it's not the only thing I've seen. I have the benefit of seeing a lot of different things, which makes my perspective a little bit unique. So you get into an organization and you have all these vulnerabilities, right? You're on a scanner and I've seen organizations with millions, literally millions come up on that scan. And Some folks say, well, why don't they just remediate them? Why don't they just patch them? And everybody on the engineering and the the IT side will say, we don't patch things because they break. We don't patch things because we can't afford to have a business disruption. And they're right. Security is there for the business. So how do we, as you said, bridge that gap? One, the first thing is that security really needs to understand the business. Hands down, you need to understand the business because you have to understand where that impact lies. Second, you have to be a great translator of risk so that the business understands that that lack of hygiene investment actually impacts them, right? What can happen if that's not patched? Have you gone through a threat model? Do they understand? And and of course, you're not going to do this for every vulnerability, but they have to understand your thought process. They have to understand why critical needs to be closed in X days, whatever fits your company's risk tolerance and what, you know, a zero day is and what the impact of having a high open for a certain amount of time is and mediums and lows and those types of stuff. And what types of different vulnerabilities are. It's not just CVE-based vulnerabilities, which a lot of 
this topic sort of comprises of, you know, you hit your, your scanner, there you go, you got a bajillion of them, right? But it's also your AppSec vulnerabilities, any pen testing findings you have, your whole suite, and they should be governed by a risk process that security prescribes, right? And I think through that education and partnership where it's not just, okay, security sets these standards, we do it, we don't tell you why, you have to go do it. There's no mercy. You know, this is not Cobra Kai. <laughs> you nice. Know? You know, there's got to be a partnership. There's got to be a balance, right? And part of that means that when you establish these remediation recommendations and requirements, they have to be obtainable, right? So you have to articulate the needs so that the business can have resources to actually meet that need. I can't tell you how many times I've seen organizations just say, hey, I'm going to reduce my vulnerabilities by 30% in the next month. And the patching organization is like, what are you talking about? They, there is, there's no way that they can possibly meet that mandate. And Without reaching out to them and kind of understanding what their resources and capabilities are, if you just create an edict like that and you're not kind of looking at your support systems, that builds resentment, it builds mistrust, and ultimately ends up resulting in either resentment or a ton of exceptions, right? Right. (laughs) Right? And that you then have to manage as well. So I think when you say, how, how do you compel folks, it's really about being strategic about your vulnerability management organization and your capability. What are you patching for? And if you get into a situation where something can't be patched right away, what are your compensating controls? Do you understand the business and the risk posture of your organization to actually make a a really good educated assessment on that? Are you doing that in a partnering way? so that you are acting in the best interest of the business and your consumers and your ecosystem versus just, I'm going to go with 30, 60, 90 days because that's what my handbook says. Right. So fundamentals and partnership is what I'm hearing so far. Fundamentals, partnership, and understanding. It can't just be a prescription. Now, there are certain things that have to be met for regulatory purposes, for compliance purposes, and all of that has to be taken into account. But what happens is if you don't contextualize that to the business and then you don't articulate that as well, then it just sort of looks like these edicts without reason, these edicts without understanding, and nobody was going to want to partner with you. That's how that perception of security is the land of no and you have to comes about is because we're not articulating the need. We're not articulating the reason, right? And even worse, we're not listening as to why that's hard and then coming up with a suggestion or a solution together. Yeah, understood. And I, I think it's it's really interesting too. One of the foibles I think that many of us practitioners fall into is Metrics for metrics sake, or or even worse, metrics that aren't metrics, but rather are just measurements. And I think one example that fits into what you're saying here is bandying about the CVSS score, for example. 
but it's a 9.6. You have to fix it. And you talked about compensating controls. You talked about understanding the business and contextualizing the problems and doing some legitimate threat modeling, right? It's been my experience that almost every CVSS score of X is actually a score of Y in the context of a specific business, of a specific deployment, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's it's really vital to be speaking of, of meaningful numbers and not just throwing CVSS scores over the table as well. Well, yeah, I mean, CVSS scores can be very useful, and but they do have limitations. So do I think that, and especially once they've, I mean, they've changed these scores and how these scores are calculated over the years, right? And I think those movements are good. It has value in a starting point. And sometimes all a company has is a starting point. That's all they have to make a decision, right? Everything that is built around vulnerability management in this case is about trying to prioritize this enormous sea of oh my God, I have so much stuff to do. And so the CVSS score is one of those things that can help prioritize it. It also has, like I said, compliance issues, right? If PCI, if it's an external scan, da, 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 there's a certain level that has to be remediated, yada, 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 right? But this context of where it sits in the network, is it actually exploitable? Da, 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 is it, you know, how many hops does it take? There's tooling that can add to that you know, context, which then if you're trying to figure out which vulnerability to address first, or if you have a little bit more leeway with the compensating controls because you have a segmented network and yada, 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 all of these types of things, you need tooling for that. And you need resources in order to apply that context. So sometimes I hear folks in our industry say, oh, this doesn't matter much. But to a company that doesn't have resources to add additional context, it really does. Or, you know, if they don't have tools to add that network context to it, that exploitability context to it, and not every organization does, particularly even huge ones, people assume that enterprises might be, you know, along this maturity scale that have deployed a context tool, like I'm not going to name one, but a context tool, let's say, and deploy it well, (laughs) you know, and make sure that the data there is reliable, that's not even the case in in some enterprises, let alone, you know, a thousand person company or a smaller medium sized company. So what then do they prioritize on if not the CVSS score? Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. So let's step back from the realm of vulnerability management and look at the larger security program. How do you see vulnerability management fitting in? To the bigger picture, where does it fit in your process? Is it visited often? Is it visited once? Is it a driver? Is it a responder? How do you see vulnerability management fitting into that larger program? I'd say for many of the organizations that I've worked with, it is a key driver. Again, it doesn't mean that that's the only thing. It's hard, right? You know, you got to have a good, strong vulnerability management program for a number of reasons. One, not just to prevent the exploit of a vulnerability, but there's other risks of that too, of not having that up to date and heaven forbid something happens and you got brand risk going out there too, if you're not doing your due diligence and running your security program, right? I mean, that's a fundamental thing that has to be done and addressed, your vulnerabilities, but also, you know, there's IAM and you have your SOC practice and your operations and all of these types of things, right? But vulnerability management in every organization that I've seen is 
a driver, one, because it can be somewhat quantified and it has a heavy compliance component to it. So in the, I talk about a Maslow's hierarchy of cyber needs <laughs> a lot. Nice. And your compliance, and of course, compliance doesn't equal security because security is a risk equation. And oftentimes it's more than what compliance requires. And of course, your threat landscape is going to change faster than compliance and regulation is going to change. But a lot of times, compliance focuses on fundamentals and organizations have trouble even addressing, not even, it's hard, addressing the hygiene of fundamentals. So, and vulnerability management is almost always part of a compliance piece, especially if you're in a highly regulated industry. That sounds about right. Barring regulation, like stepping outside of that realm, I think it still should be a driver. And I agree for the same reasons, but but ignoring regulation, right? Well, you have a responsibility, I think. If you know something's wrong, you got to fix it. That's exactly it. It's funny to me, some of the environments you mentioned, you've worked in a lot of different industries. So have I. And I have seen situations where vulnerability management was kept at a very closed book approach, kept it in a very closed book approach and kept at a one-arm distance from the CISO. Like I've seen this before in other shops where it's basically, don't let me know the results because as soon as I know them, I have to address them and deal with them. And I've seen this phenomenon before where when it wasn't heavily regulated, somebody just simply running a vulnerability scan and then throwing something on the CISO's desk of look at your whatever, making up numbers, your million criticals, your two million highs, your three million mediums, whatever the story might be. I have worked in environments where that information was deliberately kept at a distance from the CISO so that it wasn't a story of I know about it and therefore I'm responsible. I've always found that to be somewhat shocking. That is shocking. It's one of those moments where, to me, regulation sometimes is a positive driver, right? A lot of people complain about regulation. I've seen that approach, and that approach certainly frightens me. But I have seen that before. Let's take a step away from the topic at hand, and let's talk about cyber in general. One of the things I always like to ask my guests is, um, the first question is, how did you get into cyber? What got you here? Why are you so excited about it? Here, here you are today, lit up and animated about vulnerability management. What, <laughs> what brought you to this point? <laughs> lit up and animated about all kinds of security topics. That's what's indicator one, is I just love the field. You and I, Alan, know each other very well, so it's not a surprise to you that my background is in accounting and finance. My first decade was all focused on business, and so I speak every business languages. My MBA is in corporate strategy and organizational behavior from Michigan. Go blue! But I got into security kind of by accident or serendipity, maybe. I was at a company in Detroit creating a revenue protection model for a utility in Detroit. And at that time, I was a consultant. And folks, when you're a consultant and you do well, they ask you to do more things. And you're like, of course, I'll do it. It's like, oh, can you handle this other project for us, AMZ? And I'm like, yeah, sure. What is it? And it was upgrading their payment systems for a 100-year-old utility. So yay for me. And that was in the middle of 2008, which PCI had just launched, I think 2006. So it was still kind of getting off the ground and folks were figuring out what that was. And so we had to learn a lot of, a lot of requirements, compliance requirements on how to handle payments, you know, and then I was recruited into the secret service shortly after that. And 
really fell in love, absolutely fell in love with the security field there. And I've been here ever since. That was, God, it feels like ages ago. So I've held a lot of roles within security. I'm involved in the security community fairly heavily. It's just something that I have a great passion for, and I love every bit of it. And I think you sort of have to when you're trusted to protect an organization. For me, I don't focus on one particular discipline. We talked about vulnerability management here, but as I mentioned earlier, I'm responsible for full suite of security for a division, for an organization. That means that you've got to know a little bit about a lot, and you've got to create your team with a, a multidisciplinary approach. And you have to have a humility to know that you're not going to know everything, but a responsibility to be curious and hungry to know what you should know and to stack your team so that you have well-rounded perspectives in order to solve this thing, in order to (laughs) fight the good fight. You need lots of different minds and lots of different tools. That's awesome. So this kind of leads me into the next question, which you've already sort of spoken to a little bit here, but... What keeps you in the game? Why are you still excited about cyber? I mean, what is there not to be excited about? It's tiring. It gets tiring for certain. And Lord knows my uh, sense of optimism is somewhat interesting in this field, right? Where where, where it's just maybe seen as pessimists. Coffee and carbs keep me optimistic, I guess, (laughs) during the day. But I just, I love the energy of it. I think it's a noble profession. I think being a protector and a defender is a worthy pursuit. And I say that a lot because I wholeheartedly believe it. I think that if someone's trusting me to protect them, that that's a rare and precious thing. And I take that to heart. And I've always done that no matter what field I've been in. If someone's relying on me to do something, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I do it well and build the team and the tools around me in order to do it well. And security is, it takes a lot of gumption and a lot of grit and a lot of focus and a lot of passion because the threat landscape always changes. The game is always changing and you need folks that really love it in order to get you to a good place. So to close the show out on a positive note, I always like to ask folks, what is it you're looking forward to in cybersecurity? What do you think is the next big thing that's coming our way? What What is the next positive aspect of the game, the sport, the tech, the challenge, the fight? What do you see coming your way that you think is positive that you can share with us? Oh, there's so many great things in the hopper, but I'll tell you what I've been focused on lately. I've really seen some good strides with data governance. Might not be sexy, but it's needed. In order to make decisions with more confidence and more clarity. So I see movement in the startup space that is looking to solve these problems that we all tear our hair out over, right? And we're just like, oh my God, it is so difficult. Why is it so difficult? <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to seeing some of those take flight and bridging this gap of speed versus security for developers, for organizations. That's usually the case. They want to go to market faster. They want to build something faster. How do we develop solutions? How do we develop capabilities to actually reduce that friction, to actually provide value in a way that gets 
our products out there, our as a world, our products out there quicker, safer, and more sustainably safer, if that makes sense. What a wonderful conclusion to the show. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie Zettelmoyer, Visiting Fellow at the National Security Institute. And thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. 